Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark Waterfield, president and owner of Public Agency Training Council, and we really appreciate you being here at our third episode of the PATC podcast. We think that we have an excellent episode for you here. We have Brian Jarvis, a wonderful instructor, and my co-host, David Broadway. Say hello, David. Hello. Hello, everybody. Great yeah. to see you, Dave, and, and thank you so much. At Public Agency Training Council, we try to have at least 15 classes per week scheduled across the country. We have over 120 training classes and over 60 instructors. We have classes of every description that could be considered for law enforcement and uh, fire officials, as well as teachers, schools, education. We really appreciate your interest in PATC. David, you want to give a little background about yourself? Oh, I'd love to, Mark. My name is David Broadway, retired law enforcement, 34 years on the job. 10 of those years was with a local agency and 24 was with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, where I worked in, I guess, all the divisions with the exception of crimes against children and computer crimes and uh, enjoyed a good career there. And also I teach adjunct at Western Carolina University and teach adjunct for PATC, which I'm, I travel the country and give courses on um, confidential sources. And I think we're uh, privileged today to um, review a case that um, any uh, anybody in law enforcement needs to look into to improve their skills. Absolutely. We've got an excellent guest with us uh, here today. Brian Jarvis is an extraordinary instructor who teaches for PATC. Brian, why don't you give us your background? It's great to be here. And uh, I had a little over 30 years total in law enforcement as a sworn officer, both in the state of New York and in the state of Florida. And I, I was very blessed in my career. And, and uh, I started out in New York State for a number of years. And then I decided to relocate after I got tired of the snow and the ice and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And I uh, wound up in Marion County, Florida, which is in the central part of Florida, just north of Orlando. Uh, I worked there for a number of years, starting as a patrol deputy, went into criminal investigations and into major crimes. I then became the supervisor of major crimes, uh, I guess lucky enough to work some very high profile cases, uh, which was a tremendous learning experience for me. And we're going to talk about one of them today. After a number of years there, I went back up to New York, accepted a position as a chief of police. It was in Orange County, New York, which is just a New, uh, New York City suburb. Finished my career there. I've been instructing with PATC now for over 20 years. I've been here uh, doing a number of different classes, but we're currently doing a class for New, new detectives and criminal investigators, which we pretty much fill up every week. So it, it's a pretty good class that keeps us busy. And uh, we, we just absolutely love being a part of the PATC family. That's fantastic, Brian. And we very much appreciate our relationship with you as well mm -hmm. as your partner in instruction, Tom Tittle. David, uh, do you have a question for Brian? I, I sure do. Getting started off, off here, Brian, is... Um, the case that we want to review today is, I don't know if you would agree with this, is kind of one-on-one on, -one on uh, kind of down and dirty old school playing the long game police work. It, it wasn't uh, very glamorous what you guys did there in the first to, to try to put this thing together, but it was just such a teaching tool now, I believe. And uh, I would like for you to, you know, to tell the um, audience what, what case that was and how you got involved with it. And then I have several uh, questions I'd like to ask you about just the nuts and bolts of putting that case together. Certainly. So uh, we were involved in the investigation of Aileen Wernos, who was noted as the first predatory female serial killer in the country. And there had been other killers that were women. They'd kill uh, elderly. They would uh, 
kill children, Munchausen syndrome. But this is the first time we actually had a predator where she would go out and find people, eventually kill them. She had a total of seven victims. And David, as you said, you know, it was, it was down and dirty. We didn't have the technology that you have today. I mean, there are so many things I look back on. In fact, when I'm, when I'm doing my class for PATC, I know uh, with the class that there are so many things that they have an advantage of today with the, the technology between the cell phones and the video and everything that they have going on there is just a, a tremendous benefit to them, which can speed up the course of the investigation. But uh, for me and for, for my fellow investigators, it was a interesting case and a great learning experience for us to be able to learn about certain things, working in a multi-jurisdictional environment, putting different things together. Uh, so that was that was what I took away from it. Just to go a little bit deeper into that, Brian, I, I was I was lo- re-looking at the case again, and I think I, we had a conversation earlier about um, a mutual acquaintance of ours, a mutual friend, Mike Joyner, who was a part of that case and things like that. But um, as a young a young officer that wants to get into investigations, wants wants to be a, a good, accomplished investigator, how how much discipline was it in there when you were just going from from lead to lead, trying to develop leads? And and where do you think that in that process did you dig down deep to stay sharp? Because some of those leads can be it, it can be humdrum, and you get out there, and when you had the sketch composite, and when you presented it to the um, I think it was a convenience store clerk, and they go, oh, yeah, I saw both of them. That aha moment. And uh, thinking back during my career, and I hate to admit this, folks, but um. Only picture I had of this lady I was looking for was a glamour shot. If you remember back in the day, they were all made up. The hair was perfect. The eyes were highlighted. And that's the only picture I had of this lady. And I'm going in there and I'm talking to a clerk. She was like fourth in line behind me talking. I never noticed her because it was a glamour shot. So you were going in with a sketch basically a police sketch. And at that point, did you find yourself pretty tired, pretty drawn out going in and, and running down these leads? So I, I think what we have to do really is preface all the work that went in prior to actually coming up with these leads, because the first victim that Aileen had was back in November of 1989 in Volusia County, Florida. And it wasn't until around September, I believe, of 1990 when we had enough information to put together and release those composite drawings to the public and start generating leads. So there was a lot of work going on ahead of time. And up up to that point, uh, now we had, I think, six victims originally, and then she, she had one more after that. We had two bodies in Marion County, where I was working, and we were actually the lead investigation uh, agency on the case. And the primary reason for that was the location. It was like a bullseye with Marion County in the center of it. So, so a lot of things were happening there the, between the bodies and the cars being dumped and a lot of the information coming in. So we were right in the target zone of that. And I can remember during the summer, we had would turn out to be her fifth victim, uh, Troy Burris. We started working that case. And then we had the sixth, a former police chief by the name of Dick Humphreys. And as we're working through the cases, I can remember being so frustrated because we had nothing to work on. I mean, there was actually no information that was helping us at this point. It's like we were sitting there spinning our wheels. It was at this point we decided we really needed some help. And we reached out to the other agencies across Central Florida and we all met, got together, created a task force. During the time that we had this task force, that's when we started looking to the media to get leads to come in. Just to address the leads for a second, we had, I don't know how many thousand leads that came in. And surprisingly, the first day that we went public with this, the lead that received the number five named our two suspects. Just that, just that quickly. But of course, at the time, you don't know 
that there's more to it. I mean, the lead's just giving you names and, and locations. Well, we had created a database that we fed this information into and it compared the the information on a regional basis with the dates, times, and locations that the bodies were found in or that the cars were relocated in or where the men were last seen. And leads started coming in that were meeting this criteria and, and regionalizing the information. So early on, we had four leads that named our suspects. Each one gave a little bit different name for Aileen because she was using a lot of different aliases, but they eventually led to the the capture. Uh, and there's just a, a lot of work. And one of the things to note on, on a case like this, nobody solved it. It was a team effort. Everybody worked together from multiple agencies across the country. We had the Michigan State Police involved. They did a fantastic background on Aileen. She was originally from uh, Rochester and Troy up in the Detroit area. So we asked them to go ahead and, and ask if they would help us out with the background. And uh, they just did a phenomenal job. We had help from uh, New Orleans. We had help from just so many different areas across the country. In addition to the multiple agencies that we had working in the center of the core in Florida. So there were a lot of things that went into it, even leading up to the arrest and the post arrest. A thumbprint was, was gotten from a, a pawn shop. Is that correct? Where, um, yes, Aileen was using someone else's uh, driver's license. Is that correct? That's correct. When we were looking for leads and we were receiving them, one of the leads we got said that there were a couple of girls that would stay at a place known as the Fairview Motel in uh, Port Orange, Florida. They resembled the composites. We had one of our detectives from that area go in, interview the manager, get some information from the registration card. And uh, the name that they had registered under uh, was, it was a girl by the name of Cammie Green. What we did from that point on is we located Cammy. We talked to her. She had never stayed at that motel before. She was a local resident. And we found that Aileen had actually started using her information. At around the same time, we're going to different pawn shops looking to see if we can find any of the items that had been stolen from our seven victims. And uh, we went to two different pawn shops in Daytona Beach and located items that had been pawned in the name of Cammy Green. One of the pawn shop tickets did not have the required fingerprint on it. So that was kind of a, a dead end. But the property that was stolen was a uh, large toolbox out of a pickup truck that had been taken from our second victim, David Spears. The other pawn shop that we uh, went to did have a thumbprint. And in that location, she had pawned a 35-millimeter camera and a radar detector that were taken from her very first victim, Richard Mallory. From that thumbprint, uh, believe it or not, when we first ran it, it didn't come up with any hit. There was there was no uh, record on file, which was odd. You know, somebody pointing items from a homicide victim and they're not in the system. So, uh, again, working together in a, in a team environment, we were able to work with our Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the, uh, the fingerprint section. They did a manual search on it. You know, the painstaking effort that has to go into that because you've got hundreds of thousands of, of print cards. But they did such a fantastic job that they had a match within about 15 minutes. And that was just phenomenal. So we took that information and found that there was an arrest and a warrant in the name of Lori Grody that that fingerprint came from. And Lori Grody turned out to be Aileen's aunt. And she was using her name when she got arrested. She, she used a lot of names. They were all real people. Once we found that out, we had the prints, we had the photos, we had the number of aliases, but we just didn't have a person to go with it. We had to find her. And uh, that's where the undercover officers come in because we started working on it and we figured the best location to uh, locate or to find her would be in Daytona Beach. So we sent a number of undercover officers over, including Mike Joyner, who you had mentioned earlier, 
and uh, they saturated the uh, bars out there looking for her. And it was just a few days into it when Mike went into the last resort bar in Port Orange and ran into her. She was in there playing pool. We got Again, there were so many areas of the investigation that I feel we were very lucky, and that was one of them. In fact, just finding the bodies. They had been hidden. They had been dumped in the woods. They had been hidden in locations. You know, People were just locating them. Mr. Humphreys, for example, the retired police chief, his body was dumped in the south end of Marion County in a place called Marion Oaks. And there was nothing there, just roads for future development. But the day after he was killed, there were a couple of small children riding their bikes there because there was no traffic. And they went down the end of this cul-de-sac and saw his body there and reported it. Now, we had another instance where, where our fifth victim, Troy Burris, had been killed. And his body was dumped about half a mile in on a old fire lane in the Ocala Forest, something that you might not have seen anybody use that road for two years. A couple of picnickers went up there to have a private picnic, and they stopped right in the area the body was in, and they noticed it and were able to report it within about a week of when he was dis- uh, when he disappeared. So there were a lot of areas where things really went right for us. And of course, you know, as you go through an investigation like this, there are going to be things that go right, and there are going to be things that go wrong. And uh, we call them lessons learned because we want to make sure we don't do it again. As you as you all know, you've experienced that, I'm sure. But these are all things that go into it. But you have to be a team player, and, and that's one of the keys. Mark? Well, well, Brian, that case has certainly gotten a great deal of notoriety from the movie Monster, uh, starring Charlize Theron, and from various television shows. Maybe you could tell our audience about various uh, other venues that you've participated in or are aware of with respect to the awareness case. Yes, the, the movie Monster uh, came, I think it was around 2005. And it was, as they stated, based on a true story. But but realistically, if you compare the investigation to that, uh, it was not really um, factual. It was more of a uh, entertainment. That's, that's really it. Now, Charlize Theron did a phenomenal job. She really did. She not only looked like Aileen in the part, but she sounded like her. She acted like her. She had her mannerisms. And she did a phenomenal job and won an award for that, of course. But since that time, uh, we've been approached by production companies all around the the globe wanting to do stories on this case. And I I myself have been in about 35 different uh, productions of this uh, around the globe. And uh, yeah, a lot of them originating out of of London, some out of Germany, and and some, of course, in the United States. Our most current uh, project is going to be coming out very soon. It's going to be coming out this summer, 2022, and it's going to be titled First Blood on A&E. That's going to be the newest one. Right now, we have uh, over on Netflix, there's a program called Catching Killers. We, we recorded that one last year. And uh, the episode is Manhunter, which we, we put together for them. They did a phenomenal job when they, they put this show together. A lot of times, you just wait and watch to see if they hit it. But um, we've had the, the honor of uh, working on a show that had Donnie Wahlberg hosting. That was another one on HLN there that, that he did. And it just, it just kept going on and on and on. Every year, there's probably three or four different shows that they want to do. So it's still a very active case. In addition to that, uh, there's a lot of colleges that will use this case uh, in their, their classes. Uh, we have intel organizations that request a presentation. I'll be heading down to uh, Miami to do this presentation uh, shortly at a conference. And it's just it gained an amazing, amazing amount of, of popularity. Part of that is, of course, because she was a female. Uh, this was a very unique story, and people just really are interested in it. As you had mentioned earlier, I look back on it and, and think, you know, if we had had a program like Leads Online back then, we would have found these pawn tickets in minutes instead of weeks. 
we had all oh, right if we had cell phones back then we could attract <laughs> these in certain areas you know so right. a lot of things that uh, are at the disposal of investigators today that we didn't have that advantage of in fact dna was just yeah. coming into the fold at that point back then if we were to submit dna to a lab it would take anywhere between six and eight weeks to get a, a result if you were lucky so that wasn't even around at the time we were very fortunate we had we had only recovered evidence in two vehicles aileen was actually wiping the cars clean she carried some windex and paper towels around with her so she'd clean out the interior compartment of the cars remove the license plates but you know there's one thing that caught our attention seven vehicles were taken from our victims and every time we recovered a vehicle the driver's side seat was in the forward most position and our, our victims were anywhere from six feet to six foot four so that wouldn't be feasible if they'd be driving it so we knew it was a smaller person in mr humphrey's vehicle he was the, the retired police chief victim number six underneath the seat of the vehicle was a receipt from a place it was known as the wildwood truck stop back then uh which is where he was last seen in that area but it wasn't for anything he bought because it was for, I believe, cigarettes or something like that. He had a pipe he smoked. So we did recover evidence there. We got a bloody palm print from Peter Sims' car. He was the fourth victim. Tyria was driving the car and Aileen was the passenger and they wrecked. So Aileen got injured and she had blood on her palm. When she opened the door, she left us a palm print. Of course, at the time, we didn't have anything to match it to, but that's something we could use in post-arrest to match up to our suspect. So there, there were a sure. lot of things that, that came together, and, and we were very fortunate about it. That's fantastic. And you were on to tell the truth, right? Yeah, that's right. I had the pleasure. Yeah. I had the pleasure with Anthony Anderson and, and uh, Vivica Fox and Nikki Glazer and who else? Joel McHale and, and Oliver right. Hudson. And uh, it was just it was the most fun I've had in a long time. It was a blast. Oh, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Detective and New Criminal Investigator class that you teach along with Tom Tittle. That class is absolutely a, a needed class for anybody working investigations. And I wouldn't just limit that to uh, saying detectives need it. I would say patrol officers on the street, if you're responding to a crime scene, and it would benefit you to have a class like that to understand what you have to do and what your first responsibilities as a, as a first responder Thank you so much for your time, your relationship with Public Agency Training Council. David, thanks for being here with this episode. You can send uh, questions or comments to our podcast email, and that is patcpodcast1 at gmail.com. One, two, three.